Hello everyone and welcome to the Wilds cast. Today we're going to be rebroadcasting a class that Rabbi Wilds recently gave on Facebook Live. It's a Passover 101 workshop and frequently throughout the episode Rabbi Wilds references a Passover worksheet which you can find in the notes to this episode. So without any further ado, here is Rabbi Wilds. So let's begin on the source sheet, page one, on the first handout that was uh, uh, given in the notes that uh, Binyamin Cohen posted. Uh, on the front page, it says the words, Hilchot, the halachas of Pesach, the halachas of Passover. Um, and he begins with the great Maimonides in his introduction to all the laws of Passover, enumerates eight different mitzvot, eight mitzvot, that apply today, uh, three positive and three negative. There were actually 16 additional commandments that were in force when the temple stood that were associated with the Korban Pesach, the Paschal offering. The way that we celebrate Passover is a little different than we celebrate it today. Um, my daughter's coming in the room to borrow the charger. The charger for my phone or for my laptop? The charger for my laptop is not here. Um, sweetheart, but I think it's somewhere else in the apartment. I want to thank Abigail for videotaping me or joining in in the videotape on our roof yesterday. Uh, Lauren, great to have you, Lauren Bloom. And I would say that seven o'clock, I missed it tonight, but seven o'clock every night, everybody opens up their windows and yells. I think the yelling is supposed to express gratitude for all the healthcare workers that are continuing to work on behalf of New York City, Lauren, Miranda, what an opportunity. Welcome back, Miranda. Hope you're well. Nice to have you with us, Lauren. Such a pleasure. Please feel free to make comments, to give a high five virtually, to participate as much as possible. I'm looking at the screen so that I can see your comments as well. So there are eight different commandments that pertain to Passover today. There are three positive commandments and there are five negative commandments. I'm going to get into them in just a moment. But to begin with, we're going to start with a very fundamental question, and I've been sharing some of this on the Lunch and Learn in the day. What is so fundamental about this holiday? Right? This is a Passover workshop, so welcome. I also want to thank Achana, who just taught from 7 to 8 o'clock. I'm sure she was amazing, although I was eating dinner with my family. I didn't get a chance. You're on 96th Street, Lauren. Wow. Very cool. We're in the hood. It's amazing how close you can be with people that you just don't see because you're isolated. We're all social distanced from each other. Uh, I just, uh, by the way, wrote a blog that's going to get published the next day or two about some of the more positive aspects of things we can learn from the social distancing. And Ari blew his chauffeur tonight, his chauffeur. Um, just tell Ari, Ariel, excuse me, that um, I know people are getting a little confused Tell him it's Passover next week, not Rosh Hashanah, so that he doesn't continue to blow the chauffeur for no reason. I know he blew the chauffeur to make noise. I'm making a joke. Um, uh, Jennifer, you are at 74th Street. So Jennifer, did you also get into the spirit and yell outside of your window? Because I didn't hear you, Jennifer. Alana Marcus, people are ringing bells out of their window near me on East 79th. I just thought it was like amazing. I saw this video of Israelis on their porches in Israel, 
celebrating a, a Jewish couple that was getting married. And they were just yelling and singing. Everybody was singing Simitov and Mazel Tov. And I was like, oh, I miss being in Israel. And then I felt like a little New York spirit. I thought it was really, really nice. Uh, David Poppers wants to know, is this the one where we fast for eight days? Okay, it's getting off to a really bad start. Yes, Passover will be a fast day for eight days. Yes, Dr. Poppers. You can tell all of your patients they should stop eating uh, immediately and get ready for this big fast day. No, we eat. We just don't eat chametz. And of course, the question is why. You will hear the answer in just a few moments. Okay. All right, why is Passover so fundamental? What is so crucial about the story of the Exodus and why are we obsessed with this thing called chametz? I mean, we're not the only people to have been enslaved and thank God at some point uh, freed. And yet we harp so much on the Exodus from Egypt. Every single day in the Shema, we think about the Exodus. And every time we sit down and have a meal with bread, and we recite the Berkat Mazon, the grace after meals. And then once a year, we try to relive this whole thing at the Seder. What is the deal? Now, it's interesting to note that most Americans and most people in the world believe in God. There are more people believing in God now, I think, than ever. And most people in the world subscribe, subscribe to the notion that the world's original creation was not random. It didn't just sort of explode into existence. Maybe that's how God caused the world to come into existence, the Big Bang, but that it happened on its own is very much questioned by a lot of people. But whether that same force that's responsible for creating the world remained involved in the world in human affairs is a very different story. Sure, God created the world, but does he have anything to do with it today? And Judaism answers this question with a resounding yes. We believe not only in a God of creation, but also in a God of history. And that is a fundamental lesson I've been teaching the last couple of days. And that the first time in history where God is seeing as clearly intervening in the affairs of mankind, that's the Exodus. An exploited, demoralized, and victimized people call out to God after 210 years of slavery and they say, enough, please have pity, have mercy. And God came to our aid. He took us out with a big splash and in doing so, God reveals himself, not only as the God of creation, but the God of history. And Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch writes that this is all symbolized in eating matzah, this cardboard tasting bread, unleavened bread. The Torah says that we eat the matzah, who knows why? Welcome Jason Tobias. Who can tell us why we eat matzah? Why? And who can get their father something to drink? Anybody out there? <laughs> or their beloved husband? I just don't want to leave my friends. Uh, who can tell us why we left Egypt in such a haste? Now, we know we left in a haste because the Jews were involved in baking bread and God said, drop the bread, we're going. But why is that significant? Why does it matter that we left Egypt in a rush or we kept our own sweet time? Who cares how we left as long as we got out? It's water. It is water. Thank you. Thank you, Jill. I'm so sorry to keep bothering you. Um, Rachel. Yeah, Jill, you got a lot of hearts and a lot of thumbs up. 
I teach Torah for 20 minutes, nothing. You come in here with a glass of water and everybody goes crazy. She loved that. Thank you. Rachel MJE East is watching. She's in the house. Thank you, Rachel. I gave a plug for Rabbi Avi tomorrow night already. Thank you. So the Torah says that we left in a haste and we left in a rush and we were in such a rush that the bread that our ancestors were baking did not even have enough time to, to rise. And who cares? What does it matter that we left in a, in a rush? So Rav Hirsch, the great German Jewish philosopher, suggested the following brilliant idea. He says the fact that we departed from Mitzrayim, from Egypt in a rush, demonstrates that the Jews were not planning this escape. If they had, they certainly would have prepared some essentials for the road. It was, it was, this was no rebel movement against the oppressive Pharaoh regime. Why else would they be doing something as mundane as baking bread? The fact that they were baking bread shows they didn't even know when they were going to be leaving. And that this event was completely orchestrated by God and by God alone. And therefore, even when we don't see Hashem so overtly, we did in the Exodus, but in our own lives, when we don't see God so overtly, we're supposed to try to look for God. That's our job as Jews, to be the messengers of God to the rest of the world. God completely orchestrated this redemption. And the notion that we're not the only ones exerting control, that we have this more humble attitude. You know, maybe this year, it's not only the matzah that humbles us a little, reminds us that we're not running the show, it's God. This, this virus, this corona, spoke with two doctors today just to get a little better handle, to be able to help people with their questions. Welcome, Saja. Great to have you here, man. I hope you're well. So that's matzah. Matzah's humility represents that there's a God, there's a force out there. Chametz is just the opposite. Welcome, Sashi. Chametz represents the idea that it is only I or me or you or just us that are in control. That God has nothing to do with the way things unfold in the world and in our own personal lives. It's a certain attitude of haughtiness or egoism, which is why the, 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 the chametz is bloated. Right? It says that we're in control. I have an MBA from Harvard. I have a law degree and whatever. And I worked my tail off. And that's the only reason I've become so successful in the market. Like, because I graduated top of my class. I applied myself and I'm not lazy. And the truth is the world is filled with smart and ambitious people. Who for whatever reason never got the right break. And then there are people who aren't so smart. And... Got a lot of breaks in life. And that, to me, demonstrates that there's a higher force at work. Now, you don't, we don't take that theory or that idea to the illogical extreme and say, well, then what do I need to work at all? It's all in God's hands. We don't believe that. We believe that it's a partnership between God and ourselves. We believe that we have to work hard, put our best foot forward, but then have faith and trust. And all of that is represented with the chametz versus the matzah. The chametz being the bloated ego that it's all me, it's all me, it's all me. Everything what I do matters and there's nothing else. The opposite is to say that there is a God and there are other forces operating. It's not the only force. I'm one of the forces operating too. What I say matters. The decisions I make in life do affect things. They impact things and how things are going to go in life. And so on, on chametz, excuse me, on Pesach, we eat this humble-looking matzah to internalize this belief that God is part of history 
and we avoid at all costs this thing called chametz. Um, but it's not an all or nothing deal. And the only way to learn and to grow is to be informed and aware, even if one chooses. Now, this is extremely important, what I'm going to say here, because what I want to go to is to the packet now. This is really what I wanted to do. The first page of your packet that is in the notes, those of you who just came on, one of the first notes in the comments, you can see a, an insert by Binyamin Cohen, and it's got the laws of Passover. And I mentioned that there are eight different rules, and they all pertain. Eating matzah, staying away from chametz. The first three mitzvot is to get rid of the chametz, to eat matzah on the night of Passover, and to relate the mitzvah, to relate the story of the Exodus to your children, to the next generation, and to talk about the story and the broader philosophical and theological implications for our lives. We're going to do that next week at our mock Seder. We're going to, I'm going to give you some insights and things that you can share at your Seder. If you want, also, I'll be doing a little of that this Wednesday night as well on Zoom. We can give, send you the information. And all the five commandments, the negative, the prohibitions that we stay away from on uh, Shabbat. Not to eat chametz afternoon, which will be next Wednesday even before the holiday starts, okay? Um, not to eat chametz all seven days of the holiday. In diaspora, it's eight days. Sloan, welcome Sloan. Uh, okay, some other people just came on. I couldn't read your name. Not to eat mixtures of chametz. Even if a little chametz gets in, it becomes forbidden to be eaten. And then we relinquish all forms of ownership. We're not supposed to see or have any kind of connection. We are in a crazy, crazy mode. Um, in terms of chametz. Yeah, Maya is also uh, texting me here that next week we're doing Passover trivia before the Mach Seder. So the Mach Seder will be at 8 o'clock and from 7 to 8 we're going to be having a uh, Passover trivia, which I think is really incredible. Now one of the reasons why we go so crazy with chametz is because, a very practical reason, think about it. Usually when you try to keep kosher, you start... You stay away from some kind of food all year long. Something's either kosher or it's not kosher. And it doesn't change from time to time. It's not like it sometimes is kosher, sometimes it's not. Passover is very different. How is Passover different? Passover, my friend Sandra Smith, welcome. Passover is different because once a year, this, the food that we eat all year long becomes taboo. All of a sudden, food that is perfectly kosher and perfectly acceptable for Jewish consumption, becomes forbidden on, the, on these eight days. And therefore, we're a little stricter when it comes to Passover, when it comes to the keeping kosher for Passover, because it's easier to mess up. Because we're used to eating these things, and now we have to kind of take a step back. Okay, and that's what's written on the bottom of the page. Turn the page now, please, um, to page two of your handout, and you can print this out and have this for your own. You can read this... Um, on the holiday itself, it's nice to have this actually at your Seder, if you would like, or over the holiday. So I wrote in the middle there, look at the second paragraph, that the Jews were taken out of Egypt in such a haste that the bread they were baking did not have time for rot to rise, which demonstrates that the Jews did not plan their escape, and they, because they certainly would have been preparing some essentials for the road. The redemption was completely accomplished by God. The primary aspect of Passover, which the matzah comes to symbolize, the acknowledgement that God was in control of that historical event and could be found behind every event in the future. The Torah commands us to eat matzah to remind us of this very important lesson. Chametz, 
is just the opposite. Now, what is chametz? Chametz is flour of the very five types of grain that you could make matzah out of. Isn't that interesting? Chametz and matzah, the two things, one thing we're supposed to have, one thing we can have, are very, very similar. Chametz is the flour I wrote here of the five types of grain, wheat, barley, rye, oats, and spelt. When was the last time you ate spelt? I have friends that eat, they have uh, wheat allergies, they eat spelt bread. They, they say it's good. Uh, wheat, barley, rye, oats, and spelt that come into contact with water without manipulation for 18 minutes or longer. That's what we stay away from. Chametz, we said it refers to this shaking off of God's sovereignty. It's a certain attitude of egoism or haughtiness that it's only we who are in control. And we're going to go through the steps in just a moment that we take to get rid of the chametz. But think about that also for, for a moment, that the very items that you can use to make matzah are the very things that we stay away from in, um, that constitute chametz. Because you can make matzah out of wheat. Most, uh, excuse me, most matzah is made out of wheat. But you could also make matzah out of spelt or oats or rot, right? You can do it now. You don't really see some of those others. But in order for matzah to qualify as matzah, it has to be something that could have been come chametz. And that's why if you've ever been to a matzah baking factory, by show of hands, how many of you have been to a matzah baking factory? It's like talking to my children. I ask a question, I get no response. I'm going to do funny things with my eyebrows if you, if you don't respond. There you go. I got a little... Ugh, I'll take what I can get. All right. A couple of blues popping up there. So um, think about that. The only difference between matzah and chametz is time. If you're at a matzah baking factory, what they do is they put in you know, the, what's going to become the matzah and before it rises. Because what is, um, what is chametz? It's something that's leavened. It's something that's that allowed to ferment for 18 minutes or longer. It's a very, very precise kind of methodology to create matzah. You're basically trying to bake bread, but pulling it out before it ferments. And chametz, the stuff we stay away from, is the very thing that could have been matzah, but now it stayed in there longer. 18 minutes, Linda is sharing with us, thank you. 18 minutes from the time water hits the wheat. Good. 18 minutes from the time that water hits the wheat. And they guard the wheat to make sure that it has been kept away from water. Before that, we'll talk about that later, that's called Shmur Matzah, which is going to be a little harder to get, to get this year, but it's still doable for many. How are matzah factories in New York working with the social distancing? John Brody, that's an excellent question. I have no idea. I'm not a matzah baking Jew. I'm a matzah eating Jew, like hopefully all of you are. Um, I don't know how the factories are doing. Um, I think a lot of the matzah has been baked already, especially the uh, machine stuff. And a lot of machine baked matzah. My son Yosef just walked in the room. Do you know how the, how the matzah baking factories are faring? Maybe you can Google and find out for us while I teach. Seriously, are people getting into matzah baking factories and making matzah? How is this working? I imagine a lot of it is machine and they could push a button, but they still need to put the flour in there. And So I'm not really, really sure. You can ask maybe Ezra if you can find out. What? 
matzah baking factories, how are they operating now with all the social distancing going on? Uh, how is anything operating? I don't know, but we got to eat matzah next week, dude. We actually have matzah ready. Okay, John Brody, we'll get back to you. Our people, we'll get back to your people. <laughs> okay, so we are taking all of these steps to dispose of chametz. Oh, the one point I'm trying to make again is the only difference between matzah and chametz then is time. Time is an exceptionally relevant issue when it comes to Passover. Uh, look at this, Hannah. Wait, wait. Shmur matzah doesn't use machines. It's by hand, okay? But they do it in factories that you don't have like some bubby sitting in her home making shmur matzah by herself. It's also in a factory. She visited, uh, Lind Achana visited the Crown Heights factory around Hanukkah. They started early. Okay, that's probably what I, that's kind of what I thought. I don't think they leave it to the last minute. Um, I guess they probably have to shut down. I, I imagine that they're not making um, matzah at this point, that it's, we're, we're gonna rely on all the matzah that was made already from the time of Hanukkah. Okay, thank you, Hannah, for sharing that. Okay, so time is a really relevant um, issue because time is pertinent to a slave. And one thing that a slave does not have is time. Um, yeah, people, Linda's saying that people usually stand side by side in an assembly line manner. It's, I don't think you can make matzah now. I don't think it's safe. So time, though, is a very, very important issue when it comes to slavery. Because the one thing that a slave does not have is their own time. Their master is controlling how they spend their time. In fact, that's one of the reasons why the first mitzvah the Jewish people were given as a nation after they were redeemed from Egypt, HaChodesh Hazet Lachem Rosh Chadoshim. This new moon, the mitzvah to create a calendar to create and to control their own time was the first mitzvah that God gave to the Jewish people. And it makes perfect sense because until that point, they couldn't control their time. And God wanted them to appreciate their newfounded freedom. One way that you can appreciate your freedom is by recognizing that you can control your time. You know, I feel a little imprisoned. I gotta be honest. I'm in prison here with my beautiful family, Bliyan Hara, and I absolutely adore and love them. But uh, if you ask my kids, they feel very imprisoned. Um, I don't lock them in their rooms. They often lock themselves in their rooms. They just want some privacy away from their parents. <laughs> um, not lock, they close the door. But um, as long as you're in control of your time, you're ultimately in control of your destiny. If you ever saw Shawshank Redemption, one of the greatest movies, and if you've got cable, uh, we got rid of it recently, but when I had cable, um, you know, if you're up at three in the morning, like I am often, just put on a cable station and Shawshank Redemption uh, will be there for you. Um, and we'll, you'll be able to watch it. And Shawshank Redemption was about someone who was physically enslaved, but mentally he was free because he was able to be in control. Now, if you're in prison, you're really not so in control of your time. We are. Time is a very, very, very important element in Judaism. And it's something that we are celebrating our power over our oppressors by being able to take time into our own hands. And during this corona period, I want you to remember that although we're losing some control over our lives, we're losing control over space, but we're not losing control over time. We still have the opportunity to wake up every day and decide how are we going to live our day. And that is a very important theme of the Passover holiday 
that we were able to be given the gift of time from God when he freed us from slavery. And we still have that gift. We have to cherish that gift. And we have to recognize that that's still a gift that we were given, that we have, uh, even in this corona period of time. So we want to get rid of chametz. We want to get rid of chametz. And we take the following steps to dispose of chametz because it's not enough of, to, to simply study an idea. We don't sit around at Passover like this. We sit around at Passover and we eat certain foods. We perform certain rituals. We refrain from certain activities because the rabbis teach. After your actions follow your heart. If you want to be inspired, if you want to be impacted in terms of your personality, it's not enough to just think a thought. You have to live it. You have to walk the walk. You have to carry it out. That's why Torah is mitzvah-centered. Mitzvahs are actions that we perform with our hands, with our bodies. And that's why we are physically involved in preparing ourselves for the holiday by getting rid of chametz. We clean out our entire homes and our places of work. You probably just left your work like I did. And any possessions of ours where our chametz could be found. And we just get rid of chametz. You don't have to do it yet. We still got another week until Passover. Um, but as we get closer, we should try to think about where are the areas in our home where I bring food and I leave food and I should try to get rid of it. Now, all chametz food items which are sealed or they're not sealed and you can seal them yourself and would constitute some kind of monetary loss if you were to dispose of them, you can just put them away in your home somewhere, put them in a closet or you can even leave them in the same cabinet but put a piece of tape over it and put like a, a sign that says chametz. And that is the stuff that you can sell. Now, I know it sounds like a little ruse. It sounds like a little loophole. You can sell your chametz. You can, because I can say right now that this glass is something that I own. I purchased this with my own funds. And let's say I paid, let's say the glass is worth 50 cents. And I, I declare this glass ownerless. And I put the glass down. I just put it down. And you come over and you take my glass away. It's totally cool. It's not mine anymore. You can verbally declare and render something ownerless in Jewish tradition. And that's what we do when we sell a chametz. We actually sell the chametz to someone who is not Jewish, for whom it's no issue to own chametz over the eight days of Passover. Uh, we have um, uh, one of the notes here in the chat um, is a, a packet, and in the packet is a sale of chametz form. We can just go on the MGE website. It's right there. The sale of chametz form as well. Fill it out. Get it to Shuki, to Rabbi Joshua Klein, or get it to me and I'll get it to him. And we are going to sell your chametz for you. We give it to a rabbi who gives it to another rabbi, and eventually actually it gets sold to someone who's not Jewish. That chametz, that's in your home. And now you think it's a joke. It's like, what do you mean? It's in my house. No. Yes, it is in your house, but it's not yours. You can have something in your house that doesn't belong to you anymore. And we then, that's why you'll write your address on the form. Nobody's going to come into your house. They used to require people to give their keys. That way, if the person who bought the chametz wants to come and partake of it, they can. They still can, theoretically. And therefore, it is a real sale. Um, and this was instituted, this loophole, if you will, so that you wouldn't have to incur a financial loss 
by having to throw out any chametz before Passover. It just makes things a little simpler. You want to be a holy roller and get rid of all your chametz and not sell it? Gesundheit, hey, you don't have to sell the chametz. You only need to do so if you're going to keep it around in your home. Um, if there are any questions, please feel free to ask me. Just put it in the notes there. So all chametz food items, um, okay, all the notes here are about, um, Lauren Baum was asking, how do they ensure sterility, sterile, if people in Crown Heights are doing it manually at home? Correct, you need a sterile factory, surely, 100%. Nobody's making a matzah in their home. You need a certain kind of oven, you need a certain kind of a cleanliness where things are being looked over and watched over to make sure that the matzah is done properly. Um, now, Saja's asking, is it more of a lease since you get it back at the end? So it's really a sale, but part of the contract with the non-Jew that is purchasing these items is that he is also agreeing to sell it back at the end of the holiday. So I don't know what you want to call it exactly, if a sale or a lease. You don't own it. It actually allows you now. Don't try this at home. A lot of people say, oh, I'll just sell it myself. No, no, no. You wouldn't try to sell your house yourself, would you? Why would you call a lawyer to sell your house? You need to call a lawyer to sell your house because it's not so simple to sell something on your own. You need an attorney and you need some documents. You want to make sure you cross your T's, dot your I's, that it was actually done properly. Jewish law is actually a very sophisticated uh, legal system, Judaism. And you want to make sure it conforms to all the requirements of a sale. So just fill out the form and we'll take care of it on your behalf. Uh, we don't actually sell it ourselves. We give it to another rabbi who sells it on our behalf as well. You just basically appoint us your agents. But uh, uh, it then gets sold back to you. By the way, someone asked me this. If you sell your chametz and then you see it in your home um, and you partake of it on Passover, so you're not only eating something that we're not supposed to eat on Passover, right? Which is a pretty serious thing. We're not supposed to eat chametz. But we're also stealing because it's not ours. And that's a very, very important thing to keep in mind. Hey, my friend Troy, welcome. Welcome. So that's number two. All chametz food items which are sealed, which would constitute a monetary loss, sealed in a closet and do not open for the duration of Passover. And then you're going to sell it uh, as we discussed. Now, I want to mention something else that we do, and that is going to be next Tuesday night. Next Tuesday night, a week from tomorrow night, is the night before the holiday. We, we do what's called bidikat chametz. We search for the chametz. The night before the Seder, as soon as possible after nightfall, um, you, take a, you can take a candle or you can just use a flashlight. And we do it specifically at night when it's easier to find things by shining a light on things. Uh, we search out for any leftover chametz. By, by next Tuesday night, you should have cleaned out your home. Now, when I say clean out your home for Passover, you don't have to start scrubbing. Always dropping the heat. <laughs> Thanks, Troy. You don't have to start scrubbing your toilet. I mean, I, I watched a funny Passover video of somebody in his bathroom scrubbing his toilet. And, and, and his wife was asking, what are you doing? And he's like, what do you mean? I'm getting ready for Pesach. Unless you like eating in the bathroom. I don't know. I'm not judging. Some people do this. Although you're not technically supposed to really bring food into a bathroom. But let's say you bring food into your bathroom all the time. You've got like weird habits. Then you probably need to check your bathroom. But you only need to check the parts of your apartment that you actually have chametz in. If you never bring food into your bedroom, you don't need to check it. Okay, but I, you know, I got the 
the bag of pretzels and potato chips I bring in to watch something uh, before I go to sleep or something or I'm reading, okay, I need to check the bedroom. But I don't have to check everything. And see all these books behind me? Do I have to go through every single page on this book and make sure there's no... No, we don't have to do that. We don't have to go crazy. What I should try to do is if I've ever put maybe a candy wrapper here and there, probably should... You know, just take a little look at it over here. Just make sure, just make sure that there's no food that I left in, in, anywhere there. We're not concerned for little, little crumbs. We're concerned that we left some actually edible food someplace, somewhere in our home. So that's basically, you don't have to start scrubbing your toilets. People use Passover cleaning as like uh, an excuse for spring cleaning. That's fine. Got an extra time on your hands. Gazenta hate, you know. Go, uh, you know, start cleaning. It's actually very therapeutic. Um, we've been doing some th cleaning together, our family. Um, but what you want to do is you want to just clean out the parts where you have chametz. And then the night before the Seder, as soon as possible, after nightfall, you then take 10 pieces of bread. Not whole pieces. You can break it up into small little pieces. And we put out the 10 pieces in the area where we're searching, just in case we don't find anything. Because you'll see in a moment, we're going to be making a blessing. We're going to be making a blessing. The blessing is over the search for chametz. And we do this in order to make sure that in case we did such a good job searching our homes for the holiday, we want to make sure that we didn't, um, you know, maybe we won't find anything and we've taken God's name in vain by, by reciting a blessing. Uh, what if you find last year's afikom? <laughs> You're a funny guy, John Brody, funny guy. So, um, yeah, some people can't find their afikoma. It could take them a whole year. Who knows what happens then? Jessica, what an honor and pleasure to have you join us tonight. Thank you for joining us, Jessica. Okay, now, we search for the chametz, we put these 10 pieces of bread, and then we recite a special blessing before the search is done. Turn to the third page. Those of you who just came on, we have a little packet that we're going through that is helping us prepare for the holiday, is the last page of the packet. It says the search for chametz and then the nullification, okay? On the 14th of Nisan, the night before the Pesach Seder, the search for chametz is made, should be done with a candle as soon as possible after nightfall. All right, and before you begin the search next Tuesday night, you make the following blessing. Let's do it together. Baruch Atah Hashem, you take Hashem's actual name, Elokeinu melech haolam. Blessed are you, God, King of the universe, and you can say this in English if it's easier, who has sanctified us with his commandments, asher kedishanu b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu, and has commanded us al bi'ur chametz, concerning the removal of chametz. And then you start looking around for the chametz. And it should be a real search. Make sure you find those little ten pieces of bread. I don't want to get a phone call next week. Rabbi... I only found nine. I can't find, figure out where I left that 10th piece of bread. Make sure you put it somewhere, you'll find it. And then you gather up those 10 pieces of bread and any other chametz you might find. You might be looking here and there. You find something, you put it all together. And at the end, you do what's called a verbal nullification. What's called in Hebrew, a bitl. Take a look and do it in English, even though it's written in Aramaic. I assume that your Aramaic isn't so fluent. Any chametz or leaven, you have to actually understand what you're saying. Any chametz or leaven that is in my possession, which I have not seen, have not removed, and do not know about, should be annulled and become ownerless like the dust of the earth. And now, 
you've done a few things to get rid of your chametz. Number one, you cleaned up your house. Number two, then you searched around. Number three, you relinquished ownership verbally. And there's one last step. One last step is the next day. Wednesday morning, and I don't have the time in front of me, I think it's like at 11 in the morning or something around that time, we're going to burn the chametz. Now this year, burning the chametz, usually people come with their chametz to a synagogue, and we have a big you know, garbage pail in the back of the Jewish center with a fire going on, and we just throw the chametz in there, and we burn it. Um, so our synagogue's closed now, so we, we're not doing that. You could go down to your basement, and if you have an incinerator in your building, you could throw it in there and burn it. If that's too complicated and too difficult, you can flush it down the toilet, or you can literally just throw it out. Just get rid of it outside of your home, outside of your possession. Jennifer's asking, wait, you hide the 10 pieces of bread? Say the blessing. No, don't hide them. <laughs> don't hide those pieces of bread. Just put the pieces of bread out. This is not a game. It's not the afikomen. You're doing this beforehand just to make sure that in case you don't find any bread, that you are, um, that you're not taking God's name in vain because you made a bracha over the search for chametz. And let's say you did a good job getting rid of all the chametz. You won't find anything. So therefore we put out those 10 pieces of bread, but don't hide them. Sophie, welcome. So then the next morning we take that little pekala, that little, um, I don't know, a little bag that you have the 10 pieces from the night before and any other chametz you found, you already made a verbal declaration the night before, you're making another one uh, the next morning, which is going to be Wednesday morning. Read with me on the bottom of the page. Any chametz 11 that is in my possession, whether I have recognized it or not, whether I've seen it or not, whether I've removed it or not, should be annulled and become ownerless like the dust of the earth. Okay? And that's how, basically, we get rid of the chametz. Somebody else has a little comment here. Unlike this year, when people go away for Passover and leave, do they have to clean their homes if they won't be home? What does that mean, if they won't be home? Meaning, if you're not home for the whole holiday, like, I, I, our family goes away every year because I, I get these rabbi gigs in the hotels, which are all closed down. Um, and... Uh, we, we would just basically sell all the chametz in our home and leave. I wouldn't have to do any cleaning at all. I know you feel bad for me and you're willing to come over and help. Don't come over and help. I can't let you in. Um, don't take it personally either. I'm just trying to practice social distancing. See how far away from the camera I am? Social distancing. <laughs> that was a bad joke. Um, it's, uh, yes, uh, just to answer your question, there'll be a lot of people cleaning their homes, and getting rid of chametz this year that haven't done it in many, many years, including my family. Uh, I actually think it's a good thing. Not the corona, uh, what's keeping us home, but uh, I think it's a very good exercise for kids to see, and for all of us, that we're preparing for this holiday, and that we're rolling up our sleeves and we're doing a little cleaning. That helps us feel connected. Sometimes when a mitzvah is a little too easy, like it's been for me and my family, where we just pick up and go somewhere, uh, so some nice hotel where they do everything for you and they cook everything for you and you don't have to do anything. You just sort of wind and dine. That's what people pay the big bucks for, I guess. Um, there is something that is missing. That's something I think that a lot of families are missing when they're not preparing for the holiday themselves. So Corona presents these new opportunities. Uh, not everything is bad. That's, I think this is a positive thing, believe it or not. Okay, I want to see if there are any questions or comments about 
the holiday itself, about Passover. Um, see how long I've been babbling on here for. It is 8.47. Okay, we're doing well with time. Uh, any other questions or comments? Uh, we talked about matzah. We talked about chametz. Uh, next week, we're going to really go through the Seder. Okay, and we're going to need some items to prepare for the Seder. And I want to just mention a few other very practical things. There are a number of places that deliver kosher for Passover food. If you're keeping Passover, maybe you're not used to observing too much of the holiday. Um, maybe this is the year that if you want to maybe try to commit to one new thing, maybe you try to eat foods that are kosher for Passover and try to refrain from foods that are not kosher for Passover. The only foods that don't need a kosher for Passover label are fruits and vegetables, plain coffee, regular caffeinated coffee. Believe it or not, decaffeinated coffee contains certain chametz derivatives uh, in the decaffeination process. Uh, cooking and food is a very, very complicated thing these days. So that's why I just tell people, look for the kosher for Passover label. If it has a kosher for Passover label next to a, a, a respected kashrut symbol, like the OU or the OK or the K or any of those types of things, then, um, then you're good to go. If it doesn't, you want to ask a question as to whether or not uh, it is kosher for Passover. Uh, if it doesn't have a kosher for Passover label, the general rule is not to eat it unless it's a fruit or a vegetable. When it comes to dairy, you don't have to have a kosher for Passover, let's say, on your milk, as long as you buy it before the holiday. If you buy milk after the holiday has started, which is okay after the first, like during the intermediary days, the Cholamoi days, when you can go shopping and, and so on and so forth, oh, I want to mention that as well, then um, you, wanna, you, you do need a kosher for Passover label. I want to just show you a calendar. Just wait right here because I want to give everyone a little clarity when the holiday starts, ends, and, and all that. Give me one second. Nobody go anywhere. Don't give up on me. Okay. Here is a calendar. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, March 24th was the MGE annual dinner and it was canceled, just so you know. <laughs> My good friend Moshe Bellos texted me on the night of the MGE annual dinner um, and saying, hey, I'm here, where is everyone? So by the way, the dinner has been postponed to June 9th and please God, we hope we're gonna be able to be socially connected by June 9th. If we can't, then we won't and we'll push it off. We're gonna have that dinner, Blinether though, without taking a vow. Okay, Passover starts uh, Wednesday night, April 20th. Wednesday night, April 20th. Tuesday night, no. April 8th. Thank you for... <clears throat> April 8th. Uh, it's 2020. Those of you who just tuned in, we're in 2020. April 8th, Wednesday night, is when the holiday starts. April 7th is when we do the Badika Chametz, the search for Chametz like we spoke about. And it begins the 8th and it runs all the way through the 16th, right? Because the Jewish day starts at night, so it starts Wednesday night, that's when the first Seder is. And then the first few days we have Yom Tov. Yom Tov means it's a holiday. We treat it like a Shabbat uh, in the sense that we don't travel and it's got the sanctity and holiness 
of a real holiday, so we don't uh, perform any of the 39 forbidden labors, except you can carry and you can cook, you can cook from a pre-existing flame. So that would apply from, from Wednesday night, the 8th, all the way through Shabbat. It's what's called the three-day Yom Tov this year. Um, and it goes from the 8th at Wednesday night through the 9th, 10th, and 11th, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Saturday night, when Shabbat concludes, starts what's called Chol HaMoed. Chol means week, Moed means holiday. It's part of the Passover holiday, but it's the weekday part of the pa- Passover holiday, which means you, could, you don't have to refrain from the 39 acts of work. You could drive, you could, you could uh, you know, you operate social media, electricity, put lights on and off and all that. That starts Saturday night, and it runs all the way until, again, Tuesday night now. Tuesday night. And then they have the last two days of the holiday, Tuesday night, Wednesday, Wednesday night, Thursday. It's two days. In Israel, it's only one. They only do one Seder in Israel, and they only do one day at the end. We have the second day added on in the diaspora. So, um, so I want to review it again. The holiday starts on Wednesday night, the 8th, and runs all the way through the 16th. Um, but the times that we refrain from engaging in activities, mundane activities like driving, operate, operating electricity, and all that stuff is from Wednesday night, the 8th through Shabbat, through the 11th. And then we have Chol HaMoed, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And then Tuesday night starts the second day, as we call it, which goes through the 15th and the 16th. And then the holiday is over on the 16th at night. Um, there's a packet that is here. Let me see if I have this um, over here. I have it in my other desk. Um, okay, we have a whole um, packet. It's actually in the chat also. Um, it's actually in the chat. Wait, hold on one second. Someone is trying to post. Tip, small electric plug in grills for the kitchen are extremely helpful. Small electric plug in grills for the kitchen are helpful to buy for Passover. You can do all your cooking. Oh, that's really interesting. On that without purchasing ovens and stoves. Look at this. Whose idea was this? I like this. Andy. Andy Rosenthal Pfeffer. Oh my gosh. How are you? <laughs> Thank you so much. So great to hear from you again. my. Wow. Say hi. Long time, no speak. So a small electric plug in a grill, meaning like it's a, you can cook on it, and uh, that way it's brand new. You don't have to, um, okay, very, very good. That you, that you can cook on that, and, and you just leave it on the whole holiday. Very, very good. Nice suggestion. Thank you. What is your stance on eating rice? I like eating rice. I'm, I'm, I, have, I love rice. Oh, you mean on Passover. <laughs> It's lonely teaching without people in front of me. I'm trying to make this entertaining for me and you. So because I'm Ashkenazi, I don't eat rice on Passover. Um, rice on Passover is not chametz, but it's called kitniot. Kitniot are certain things uh, taken from rice millet legumes that resemble chametz items that the Ashkenazic rabbis centuries ago said we should also stay away from on the holiday lest we come to eat chametz itself. That was only accepted by Ashkenazic jury and not by Svartic jury, which is why any Svartim watching, I am jealous. Because you can eat rice on Passover and you can eat other uh, items of kitniot on Passover. Um, if you're born Ashkenazi like me, you have no choice. 
you only have one way out of this. And that is if you're a young woman, or not a young woman, you're a woman and you're still single and you haven't yet married, uh, find a Svarty guy, even if you don't like him, um, get him to propose to you or maybe, you know, today you can propose to him. And if he marries you, you can adopt his Svarta custom of eating rice on Passover. Otherwise, you're stuck like the rest of us Ashkenazim with the stricture of what's called kitzniot. Good question. Uh, Hannah, oh, Hannah, how are you? Um, I hope you guys are well. Good to hear from you again. Can, can vegans eat kidney oats? Um, I'm not sure why it would matter if you're a vegan or not. Meaning, what does that mean? You're a vegan, you want to know if you can eat kidney oat. You want to know in terms of being a good vegan? Like, are you going against your veganism by eating kidney oats? I don't think you are, depending on what it is. But if you're Ashkenazi, even if you're vegan, you would still need to refrain from eating kidney oat. Again, it's rice, legumes, beans, and that kind of thing. Um, and here, let's see, someone else is posting here. Ah, Troy, if you convert and decide to be Sephardi. Oh, God. Um, hold on, I missed your thing, Troy. If you convert and decide to go Sephardi, but you can't ever, oh, God, but you can't ever go back to Ashkenaz, apparently, once you make that decision. Right, I don't think you can keep switching back and forth. I think women are in a better situation because we follow the woman when it comes to whether you're Jewish or not. You're Jewish if your mother is Jewish or you convert to Judaism. But it follows the mother, matrilineal descent, not patrilineal. However, it follows the father as to what customs you adopt for your life and for your, for your family, you follow the father. So... Um, uh, now, Nathaniel Berman is just mentioning that quinoa, there are kosher for Passover, quinoa that you can get, 100%. There are kosher for Passover. I will tell you something also. Oh, Andy is following up. Use them before Yontav and then on Chalamoid. I'll put a link in the thread so you can see what I'm talking about. Thank you so much, Andy. Oh, so nice of you. Um, the Crown Heights based in approved kidney, uh, quinoa. I know, we've been eating quinoa for years. Uh, there's kosher for Passover quinoa. 100%. That's perfectly acceptable. Uh, you just want to find the stuff that's kosher for Passover. Um, and please feel free to call me or email me, markwilds at gmail, with any questions that you possibly have about any of this uh, fun and nitty-gritty things. Any other questions that anyone else has? Um, I just, I'm glad I wanted to go through the when the holiday started and finished. Um, I didn't get a chance to go through koshering and how to make your kitchen kosher. I can't really do that in this class, but um, it's in the packet. The packet that is there in the chat, the first one was the our source sheet, but the second one is the packet. And in the packet has the 11 steps. It's on the MG website and we've been sending out emails all week with it. Um, the packet is really, really helpful and it goes through how to kosher everything in your home, from your stove to your sink to your tabletops, or you want to just cover certain things. It's all in there, and please feel free to ask me any questions that you might have. Uh, what, is, what do we actually wish each other on Passover? How do, what, what do we say to each other during the holiday? What do we say? Now, you can, you can take the cheap, easy way out and just say, Chag Sameach, Happy Holiday. Right? But that applies on Pesach, on Sukkot, and Shavuot too. What we say to each other 
on Passover is Chag Kasher V'Sameach, which means you should have a kosher for Passover because so much of the holiday revolves around making sure that we rid our lives. For one day of the week, we get rid of this chametz stuff and we keep kosher for Passover. So we say Chag, holiday, kasher, kosher, right? Follow all these things. Visamech, and it should be joyous. And I know that we feel it's going to be a little muted this year. But we're going to try to make it as joyous as possible. And we're going to try to learn during this corona time to appreciate the beautiful things that we have, especially our health. Our health is so, so important. And if you have it, and even if you feel cooped up, and even if you feel like your career and your business has gone to pot, which unfortunately is happening all over the place, uh, it's a really, really rough time. But, you know, as my mother-in-law of blessed memory used to say, you have your health. And, and you know what? It sounds like a joke, but it's so, so true. We need to keep davening and praying for those individuals whose health has been compromised and who have contracted corona. We need to daven for their refuah shlema, for their speedy and complete recovery. And please continue to keep yourself safe. Please continue to keep yourself socially distanced from other people. Please listen and pay attention to the CDC, to the health department. We need to contain this thing. And the more of us that stay home and the more of us that stay distant from each other, as painful as that is, it's a temporary thing. And please God, we can come out of this and we can maybe learn some really important lessons for life. Um, and I'm, I'm coming out with a blog right now um, about actually vaping and nicotine addictions and some of the other things that people are beginning to see compromise our ability to fight um, this virus if, God forbid, somebody gets it. Um, so I'm really encouraging people to not only socially distance themselves, but to eat healthily and to sleep as well as you possibly can and to make sure to try to get rid of whatever bad habits we have so we can be in the best possible shape to fight this thing if we get it. Uh, because if you're healthy, Bli Ein Hara, um, relatively young, you should be able to fight this thing off, but not if we have other underlying kind of issues. So my blessing to all of everyone is that we have a Chag, Kasher V'Sameach, and we have a beautiful Passover. I want to mention one other thing we're in the process of putting together. If you're alone for the holiday, we are trying to create some kind of situation um, where you can have a device on before the holiday starts of someone else leading a Seder from a, listen to this, from California, from a place where, because California is three hours earlier. So I'm looking right now for a rabbi. I have a couple of rabbinic colleagues in LA. I'm going to be calling to see if they can, if anyone can run a Passover Seder a couple of hours before the holiday starts, put it on Zoom, exactly when our Seder is. You put on your Zoom before the Seder starts, and you put it on mute, and you take, you don't have the video on, and you don't have the microphone on, because it could, it could be an issue for us to converse on Zoom back and forth, uh, for those of us that are keeping the holiday, for the one for whom it's not the holiday yet in California, you hear this? It's a brilliant idea. My dear friend, Rabbi Yossi Levine, and I called Rehearsal Shechter today from Yeshiva University, and he felt that it was okay to do this if someone is alone. If it's just added entertainment, that's not what this is for. If you're alone, 
and you don't want to be alone for the Seder, which is of course understandable, we were going to try to have the Seder streamlined in by someone for whom it's not the holiday. And that person will go through the whole Seder, and you can do your Seder with that individual, that rabbi, whoever it is that we get, hopefully, and um, you won't be able to talk back or anything like that, but you can watch the person and follow along, watch and hear, and not have to do the Seder yourself. I thought it was a great idea. Thinking if we can to do the second night Seder from someone who's in Israel, because that's six hours later, and in Israel they only keep one day. So it's Cholamoid. It's the intermediary day the next day. Now, I don't know how you get your computer on then. You could, if you have a friend who's not Jewish, or maybe you have a doorman or someone else that you're comfortable coming into your apartment and pushing the button and setting up the Zoom for you for the next night. That is another possibility. The first night is easier. Um, and by the way, another idea if you're alone is that you could, two other ideas, is that you could have a conference call that you, that you call and dial in before Shabbat starts and just leave it on in your apartment and you can keep it on the table and that way you can at least converse with each other. That's also acceptable. And one last thing is next Monday night I'm going to be taping the whole um, Facebook Live mock Seder that I'm going to do right here in my dining room. And that is something if you can rig, if you can put that on a few moments before the holiday starts. Also, you can just sort of leave that on and then follow along with the Seder as I'm doing it too. That will have been taped previously, so it's not in real time, but that, these are some options that we're coming up with to try <clears throat> to enable people not to be uh, completely alone for their Seder. I want to wish you all a beautiful and safe night. Continue to stay with us tomorrow night. Rabbi Avi Heller here. Tomorrow afternoon, Lunch and Learn. Facebook Live, and on Wednesday night, my classes will be Zoomed uh, at 8 o'clock. I'm going to be insights into the Seder. And then next Monday night, the, uh, uh, the mock Seder. And of course, Friday night, <laughs> we've got Kabbalah Shabbat again at 6.15 and Abdullah Saturday night. We're working hard here at MJE. Please continue to support us. We can really, really use the help. Not easy times for us and any non-for-profits now. So whatever... Uh, Help you can provide is extremely appreciated. Have a great night, everyone. Chag Kasher Vesameach. So so nice to have all of you here, and thank you for your comments, for your hearts, for your love, for your thumbs up. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Wildcast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do, it helps others discover the show. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us today.